You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. Episode number 185 of Play-By-Play Cast is with the 38-year voice of the Boston Red Sox, Joe Castiglione. Welcome back into the podcast, everybody. It is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. My name is Joel Godet. I'm the television and radio voice of the Ball State University Cardinals, and you can find this podcast on social media at PXPCast or hit up me at Joel Godet. Email me, J-G-O-D-E-T-T, at BSU.edu. Joe Castiglione, 38 years in Boston, assuming we get baseball this season. Cleveland Cavaliers on his resume for big league sports as well. The Cleveland Indians in 1979. He was with the Milwaukee Brewers in 1981. Undergrad at Colgate University. He then got his master's from Syracuse and actually started his career in Syracuse at WSYR-TV, which is actually now no longer WSYR-TV. That's a different WSYR-TV, which is not to be confused with WSYR-Radio, which is where I got my start. It's not confusing at all. Uh, But Joe started in television Worked his way into radio where he has created his lasting legacy and Hall of Fame legacy throughout Major League Baseball. We'll talk on this episode with Joe about that journey, how he has crafted his sound and style, and what he has learned from all of his partners along the way. Joe Castiglione, let's get down right to it. He is our guest on episode number 185 of PXPCast. Your love of Mel Allen as a youngster um, that turned you on to broadcasting. Uh, there was a quote that you had that you loved his style, his description, and the way he personalized players. Um, and I was curious most about the back half of that in terms of what he did that personalized players to you, why that intrigued you and attracted you, um, and how you've applied that today. Well, I think storytelling. I mean, he, he told stories about individual players and he acted like, uh, you know, they were good friends of his. And I think that, uh, you know, through storytelling, uh, you can do that. I mean, not that he put himself in a lot of the stories. He did in some, but uh, he brought out the best in them and their families. And, uh, you know, he, he really knew them well personally. They weren't just uh, athletes, you know, with a, a bat, a ball, and a glove. So I think he, he had a real knack for doing that. What's the, and this is probably too much of a, this is a loaded question, but what is the secret to doing that as a broadcaster, to telling stories the right way and weaving them in the right way um, so that people get that same impression, but they also still, obviously, uh, you, your first job is to, to describe the game in front of you? Well, it's a sense of timing, Joe, because every 
game is different. I mean, the defense controls the ball, so the pitcher controls the pace. So you have to have a sense of timing when to start a start, when to start when we're two down. Uh, and, uh, you know, they try to gear it uh, to what's happening in the game, too. I mean, <clears throat> the game's on the line. You're not going to be really telling stories. So I think it's it's a matter of feel more than anything. Uh, and sometimes, you know, these things just happen. Something triggers a thought, which triggers a story or a factoid or, you know, something uh, just happens. It's timely. It has to be timely. Uh, I, I know you've said that you've got to be able to talk to players about more than baseball as well um, and have had all sorts of different kinds of conversations with folks. And um, what's the, you know, I, I think we sometimes get caught up too much in the like, I have to ask this guy what pitches he throws because I need that information on the broadcast. Um, how has you matured as a broadcaster? Did you break down those barriers to to just be able to have normal conversation with people and not necessarily treat them like interview subjects, but, but feel like you've got an actual true human relationship. Well, see, by listening, it's the most important thing you do. You get three hours to talk. So listen, hmm. listening is the key. Listening to what they say. Uh, and you know, that a lot of times triggers questions that might or might not have anything to do with the game on the field. And, uh, you have to have their trust. You know, they have to see you around and they have to uh, believe that uh, you're one of, not, not one of them, but, you know, you're you're a friend. So I think you have to establish that. And, uh, you know, that's done. There's no real formula for that. But I think the most important thing is listening to what they say and then reacting from there. Are you a big batting cage guy then before games? Uh, I have been, yeah. Uh, it depends on where we are and when they're hitting, what the pregame uh, ritual is like. But, uh, yeah, I hang around the cage when I want to see somebody, um, especially in our case, because, you know, when you run in the clubhouse at home, there's 30 media people and no players. They have other places to go and hide, <laughs> get away from the media. Of course, that's going to change now. We won't be, be allowed in the clubhouse. You're probably not around the batting cage, so... You might not be allowed around the players. <laughs> That's right. And you, we can do games without that. So, you know, I'm not, uh, we can, I mean, it's not the same, but better than nothing. I was saying, have you thought about how that might change things in terms of uh, how you tell a story and, and how you'll broadcast this season? Oh, definitely. I mean, we may be in a studio. Who knows? We'll even be in a ballpark. <laughs> I think we can do games with no contact with anybody in uniform. Uh, better than not doing any games. It'll be different, and you know you'll have to uh, probably rely more on research in terms of personal stories. But you know, with my experience, my number of years, uh, I'm not too concerned about that. I think I think games might be at a quicker pace too. Who knows? We hope so. <laughs> um, let me ask you about research and about your experience a little bit. Um, you know, I, I I was listening to an interview you did where Buster only asked you about Roger Clemens' 20 strikeout game. And the first thing you mentioned is that it was 44 degrees and then set the scene of the whole day perfectly. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, 
I I can't recall like what I had for breakfast yesterday. Uh, Neither can I. <laughs> uh, what is it about moments like that that stick with you over time, and how you've like where did where did Great Recall come from? Well, I think it's more of a blessing. I think it's God given. Uh, I don't have Great Recall for some things, <laughs> like what happened last night, or, or you know. <laughs> uh, but if it's baseball, I've I've always been blessed with good recall and. Maybe that's because I'm so interested in it. And, uh, you know, you live in the moment when you do baseball. I think that's the biggest thing. You live in the moment. And you're focusing on the present. So I think that that's probably helps add to the recall. But I, I think it's more of a blessing than anything else. Sure. You'll have good recall for baseball. Uh, I know you read a lot too. I know you read the papers every day, but I, I know you've said you read, you like you have to love the history of what you're doing also. Um, how much do you still read at this point, and and what are the things that intrigue you that still help you teach, or that still teach you something that you feel like can be applicable to stories you tell on the air? Well, I've always I read baseball. I love I love his. I was a history major. I love American history, and I love baseball history. So um, biographies and uh, eras and that type of thing. Uh, and I still do. I mean, of late, uh, like during this pandemic, I've I've gone and watched a lot of the '50s and '60s World Series highlights. Oh, cool! Because uh, I, you know, remember them as a kid. Uh, but I read uh, I, I, the last few years. I've read a lot about the Negro Leagues. I always felt uh, I should have known more, you know, years ago because. Um, really uh, a student of the Negro Leagues and go to the museum every time we're in Kansas City. Bob Kendrick, the president, is a good friend of mine. I knew Buck O'Neill well. And uh, that's a big thing. Right now I'm reading uh, Last Games in Cuba. Oh, cool. When Castro, when Castro took over. And I think the uh, the Sugar Canes won the uh, international, the Junior World Series uh, last year, 59. Because I went to Cuba a couple of years ago, and uh, that was exciting. Went to Hemingway's house and saw the the cutouts of the bases where he used to play. He loved baseball. That's really cool. So you know that's a couple of things that I'm reading now, and uh, I just go to Baseball Reference a lot. I talked to our Joe Morgan a lot. Joe's 89. Who is uh, my very close friend and great manager, and uh, he's not into computers, but I get players online that he played with, and uh, we look up some facts. Like recently, it was Bob Hurricane Hazel. He played with in the Braves system, and Bob Hale, as Joe was came up with the Milwaukee Braves. Um, so you know, it's I'm always looking for to read baseball, whether it's internet or publications or books or whatever. Do you, uh, do you catalog any of that? Or is that just like, is that a nerdy way of looking at it? Like, is it one of those things where you're just reading it because you want the education and, and the big things will stick or will you see something and say like, I want to make note of that because that could be something I want to go back to at a later date or when I'm on the air. Yeah. I, I don't really uh, categorize it or uh, catalog it much. Uh, you know, it's usually some facts stick with me. 
if they're exceptional or if they fit and you know that then something will happen in a game that will trigger a thought that's that's the way i look at it sure. uh, pretty much um you said that uh Earlier in your career, Bob Starr taught you uh, not to take myself, my own job so seriously. I learned how to relax. And I know you've also said that people can sometimes turn on the radio and tell if the Sox are winning or, or, or losing by the, the timbre of your voice. Right. Describe for me what, like, what's your what's your mental state like during a game, and how has that eased over the years? Well, generally, you're very focused, and, you know, you're looking at it from a Red Sox standpoint, because that's our club. Um, but there are games, you know, that are boring. Or nothing's happening. And uh, the pitch is taking forever between pitches, which is something that really needs to be addressed. Uh, and, you know, your mind wanders. But uh, you just go on automatic pilot at times. But generally, you're focused on uh, what the situation is, what the game is, what's on the line. Uh, anticipating what's happening next, uh, who the next hitter is going to be, or who's going to bat in the bottom of the inning, and I think you're you're constantly uh, involved. I mean, sometimes being in a zone, you know, when the game's on the line, you're you have nothing else. I remember that from the ninth inning of the game for the World Series in '04. Yeah, I mean, they could have set a firecracker off under me. And, <laughs> I might not have noticed, even though it was a one. It was a quick ninth inning, but uh, you know the concentration. A lot depends on the interest of the game, the interest level the game has. Is it is it hard to get yourself to relax sometimes? Like I mean, early in your career, did you feel like you you weren't at times? And how how did it help you? Like how did Bob saying that make you better as you went on in your career? Well, I tend to take wins and losses very uh, seriously into heart. And you know, obviously, we have no effect on wins and losses. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, Bob taught me that. He taught me that uh, he had a saying, it's not my life and it's not my wife. I never really adhered to that <laughs> because, you know, I took the wins and losses personally. But I think you look at it through a different lens um, when that happens, I remember. We were in the old White Sox, Comiskey Park, and tying run was at third. The winning run was – go-ahead run was at second in the ninth. And Jody Reed had a pull that Bobby Finkbeck caught. Bob Starr looked – he did the play-by-play. He looked at me and says, my partner looks like he's just been harpooned <laughs> at the end of the game. And he laughed, even though we just lost the brutal game. But, uh, yeah, he taught me a lot about that. Uh and, you know, the passion is a big thing, I think, that has me connect with Red Sox fans because mm. they have the passion. So, it's, I don't, you know, I, I never I never lost that. But, uh, you know, I don't take the, uh, the losses as personally as I used to. <laughs> it's not it's not totally true that you don't have an impact, though, because didn't weren't you the one that told Daniel Nava to swing at the first pitch? Yeah, I did. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I learned that from Chuck Tanner. Uh, I replaced Chuck in Youngstown TV in 1970, and I left Syracuse uh, as a sports anchor, and I uh, went to Youngstown to do it every day rather than be the third sports guy at Syracuse. So uh, 
Chuck was managing Hawaii. Then he got the White Sox job, and I got his $140 a week TV job. And he had to say, he always told kids to swing at the first pitch of their career because he did it. He was pinch hitting for Warren Spahn in 1955, and he swung at the first pitch in, of his career and hit a home run off Jerry Staley of the Reds. So he always told kids to swing at the first pitch, and I mentioned that to Nava. Of course, he, he did. I I didn't think he heard me. I don't think he, was, you know, he was just up that day, and he was in a zone. But, uh, yeah, we've had a great connection since then. You mentioned uh, you mentioned a couple minutes ago that they could have set a firecracker off underneath of you uh, during the 04 World Series in the ninth inning, and, and you wouldn't have noticed. Uh, take me back, if you will, to that day and that moment, and the weight of history. And we had Pat Hughes on a couple of weeks ago, and he, he talked about how much he thought, like, this is the one you have to get right. Um, and I know you had written things out as far as what you could say ahead of time and just kind of scrapped that. Um, what was the day like of that game? when you Like, how much did you think about what that day could mean, or did you try to just put that out of your mind? No, I thought about it a lot. Um, Remember, Red Sox history, it's not guaranteed you're going to win. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I did think about it a lot. I remember that day that uh, we were in St. Louis. Let's see, one day, Jan and I had dinner at lunch with Bob Starr and his wife, whom I introduced to uh, them, uh, my matchmaking. And then the next <laughs> game four, yeah, game four, uh, we went to uh, Mike Shannon's restaurant with Jeff Finelson, who'd been our intern, and was, I'm not sure if he was the president of the Hall of Fame yet or the media relations director, but, uh, and uh, Bill Madden of the New York Daily News. We had lunch at, at uh, Shannon's. Mm. So I remember that. Uh, and then, you know, thought about, what are you going to do the last out? And I had all these things. Uh, I know when we won the Yankee series, I said, move over, babe, which was the, the song Ernie Harwell wrote when he, Hank Aaron beat Babe Ruth's record. Uh, but I I thought, well, I'm going to keep it simple because uh, I don't know how it's going to end. I was just hoping that it would be something definitive, not right. a half swing, not uh, a diving catch. Did he catch it or didn't he? And the worst thing would have been a replay, which, of course, they didn't have then. But I thought, just keep it simple, and it was great. It was a routine ground ball to the pitcher. So, do you remember it happening, or did it all did it all just kind of blur in the moment? I remember it happening. Uh, I forgot that uh, I just watched the ninth inning game four recently. That, that Pujols let off with a single to center because he didn't have many hits. Red Sox really kept Pujols, Edmonds, and uh, Roland quiet, which is a big reason they swept. Mm. So. Uh, yeah, but, and then the, the, the other odds came real quick, including the Renteria grounder, then Renteria played for us the next year. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was it was fast. There was not a lot of time. Folk was a pretty quick worker. So that was a, that was a big plus. Are you, uh, I guess, how, how proud of that moment are you when you look back at it? And the way that it turned out. Well, I, I loved it that Sunday. That was what a Wednesday night. 
Thursday night, Wednesday night, I think. When the Globe ran a photo on Sunday, it had, had my call underneath, ground ball down by Folk. So I was happy with it. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I kept it simple. I didn't intrude on the moment for fans. It wasn't my moment. It was their moment. And uh, I think that was that was the biggest thing. Just to keep it simple and let know what happened. And can you believe it? Uh, I think I used over the years. I don't really recall saying <laughs> Uh, July 24th, when Bill Miller hit a walk-off home run to beat Mariano Rivera. Yeah. I know Boston wasn't your first major league job, um, but you were still fairly young when you got the... How old were you when you got the Red Sox job? Um, I was, uh, let's see, 35 and got the job, 36 when the season started. Gotcha. Um, my first, I was 32 when I got my Indians job. Gotcha. I I know you you've uh, you've talked about Jack Craig uh, who said like basically he he loved you when you first got on the air and some of the things that he liked he would go on to criticize later and you know, that's the way that it is. Um, how did? Yeah, it wasn't always consistent. What is it like being in a Boston media market spotlight and being? How do you grow as a broadcaster under that microscope and handle that and deal with that and? That was a different age before social media, but um, what's that been like throughout your career? Well, it's tough to get accepted in New England. That's the way New Englanders are. When they when they do accept you, they're very loyal. But you know, when you're new, they're pretty. Um, uh, what's the right word? Uh, prove prove you prove yourself to mm. you know show me. Uh, so I think that you know you have to understand that going in and i was blessed because i had ken coleman who went out of his way uh to make me look good and to praise me and johnny pesky who was recovering from an illness and he couldn't coach he, he did the pregame then he came up to the booth and sat in in my innings at home and when johnny's your friend when he tells the whole world and he was uh, a great factor in helping me get accepted, you know, by the organization and by the fans that he touched, which were countless in number because he was so beloved. So those, you know, those kind of things. Up today, they don't, uh, they don't really criticize or uh, critique broadcasters in the newspapers like they used to. Of course, <laughs> I don't read blogs. I don't read. Uh, I don't go online, and I, I don't do Twitter. I, I got a microphone, so why do I need Twitter? <laughs> uh, the last question I have for you is just, um, we are ultimately broadcasters, and, and voice is our instrument. Um, how have you um, w- like worked with that over the years, or honed that over the years, or, or what's been your approach to um, best ways to use your instrument, and how you've... Um, how you've done that through the course of your career? Well, the thing I think I had to learn most was to be conversational. Um, I mean, I was a rock disc jockey, and you know, you'd be rapid fire, and uh, and the same sometimes doing games, uh, especially in baseball. You really have to be conversational. You, you can't shout at people because the games are too long and there's too much non-action. So I think. Uh, the basic thing I try to do, I learned, I think, was to be much more conversational. 
And the most difficult thing is to try to put a smile in your voice. I told young broadcasters that those who have the nuts and bolts down fine. Okay, now try to put a smile in your voice. How do you do that? Well, there's no formula. <laughs> you, just, uh, you just try to be conversational and hope it happens. Because, you know, this is you're with somebody three hours. I know they tune in and leave, come back and that type of thing. But uh, the games are long and you just can't be. Uh, you have to be consistent. Consistency, I think, is the biggest thing. Consistency and credibility. You have to be on every day. You have to be prepared every day. You have to be consistent in that regard. And you have to be credible. I mean, you have to you have to have the audience believe that what you know what you're doing and, uh, and what you say is accurate. Um, so, you know, they know I want the Red Sox to win, but I think, you know, when an opponent makes a good play or the Red Sox make an error or somebody doesn't hustle, you point it out. All right, that is Joe Castiglione joining us here on episode number 185 of PXPCast. I love that quote from Bob Starr. Not to take the game of baseball, myself, or my own job too seriously. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in having the perfect call and having the perfect stretch and everything being perfect that we forget sometimes what we're doing is fun. We need to convey that, and if we have a good time the listeners and our viewers will have a good time as well. We've had a lot of baseball guests with the fact that we don't have baseball going on right now. Well, we don't have anything going on right now, but particularly we don't have baseball. Uh, we'll have more in the coming weeks. Corey Provis will join us from the Minnesota Twins. We'll talk some hockey with Bobby Mack, Bob McElligot from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Some good episodes coming down the pike. This is PXP Cast. My name is Joel Gadette. The music is from Marshmallow, and we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.